Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Dave Wong. Dave is a trailbreaker winner at Trail Hero. He's unlimited driver in We Rock, has quite a few podiums. He's also the runner-up this year of the Texas Top Gun Shootout, which was a first-time event at K2 in Mason, Texas. And he's an ex-Californian that made the trek to southern Utah. Dave, it's really good to have you on the air and uh, talking to you about your uh, your history. Well, thanks for having me, Big Rich. It's an honor. Uh, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. There's uh, a lot of really good people on there. I'm I'm honored to be on here. Well, you deserve it. So let's uh, let's get started and jump right in on, uh, you know, where were you born and raised? So I was born in, well, not too far from where you were. I was born in Fairfield. Oh, Fairfield, so okay. Just north of you, um, that North Bay area, out in California. And then we moved to Livermore when I was really young. And then we moved to Pleasanton when I was four. So we did a lot of moving around. And then when I was eight, my dad moved our family up to Sonora, California, up in the gold country. And what was the reason for moving? Was was he military or did the job do it? Or So my dad was a, a teacher, actually. Oh, he a teacher, was a okay. math teacher and he, uh, his passion was coaching basketball when I was, when I was born, I, I think the first week I was alive, I went to a basketball game. Um, <laughs> of course I don't remember it. It's just what I hear. Right. Um, but my dad, he grew up in San Francisco, uh, in Hunter's point, which okay. is not the best area. Right. And, uh, he wanted to raise my sister and I and somewhere a little more wholesome and safer. And so he went to a wedding up there in Sonora and fell in love with it up there. So he said, that's where we're going. Yeah. It's a real nice area. It's uh part of that highway 49 golden chain of cities, you know, yeah. Columbia, Sonora, Jackson, Placerville, Auburn, 
Grass Valley, Nevada yeah. City. It's they're really, it really is a nice, a nice location. Yeah, it's, it was a good place to grow up up there in the foothills of the Sierras. There, right, and so that was uh, Pleasanton made the move. That was about the time you started school, or or was it uh, Sonora where you started school? So I started school in Pleasanton. Okay. Um, and then funny thing for people that know the Bay Area, when we moved to Pleasanton, wasn't going to date me a little bit too, but Pleasanton had one stoplight. Wow. Um, yeah. So started school there, you know, we still walked to school and parents didn't worry too much. Um, was uh, There was a huge park across from our little um, neighborhood and that's gone. It's all houses now, but. That's too bad that they remove parks to build houses. Yeah. I think there may be still a small park in that area, but it was huge uh, when we were there. Right. Of course, maybe it's perspective. I was a lot smaller then. You know, there's <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> there's a there's a town called Woonsocket, South Dakota, and my grandfather um, grew up there and – they had a little hotel in a main street square, and there was a pond in the middle of the square, the lake, I would say. But I was there, oh, God, it was before I started driving, but not quite, you know, right at the beginning of my teens, I think it was. But I remember that lake being big. And Shelly and I drove through there a couple of years ago, and I was like, okay, they must have filled in the lake. <laughs> because the lake was, if it was an acre, it was, uh, I'm giving it credit where credit <laughs> wasn't due. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is perspective. Absolutely. So then Pleasanton, you move, you started school there. Um, Dad was a math teacher and basketball coach. Did mom work? Uh, mom didn't work. Uh, when we moved to Sonora, their friends that we went to their wedding, they told my parents about a restaurant that was for sale. And above the restaurant was a, was the house. So they told my dad, you could buy this restaurant. You have a place to live. You have a business. So that's what they did. They bought that restaurant. It was called Scandia Smorgasbord up in, uh, it was actually in Sugar Pine, just above Twain Heart, which was above Sonora. Right. And uh, so we lived above the restaurant. My mom ran the restaurant. And shortly after that, my dad started coaching at the high school in Tuolumne, Somerville. And uh, then he became a counselor there. Okay. So you, your mom became a housewife to restauranter, restaurant owner? Yeah. Yep. She ran the restaurant, also cooked. And it was a smorgasbord. So my sister and I, anytime we were hungry, we could just go hop in line. And <laughs> it was... Uh, we never went hungry, that's for sure. I guess not. The smorgasbord would, yeah. Man, I'm glad I didn't have that as a kid. <laughs> God knows what I, how big I'd be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess it's the genes, you know. I don't think, I think a lot of it's just genes. I do. I agree, too. There was a lot of chocolate pudding that I put down as a kid because that was one of the desserts. <laughs> a lot of chocolate pudding. That's awesome. So then... That area is pretty rural. It's not a lot of, uh, you know, the neighborhoods are kind of small. Everything's built into the into the canyons, just like here in Placerville, pretty much. What was it like growing up in that area? 
I liked it. I think it was a great place to grow up. We had, uh, when we bought that restaurant, the people that owned it before, their son raced dirt bikes. So there was a dirt bike track behind the restaurant because it was just open land behind there. Nice. So I had a huge parking lot to play around in when the restaurant wasn't open or was slow. I had that dirt bike track behind us. And then as I got into dirt bikes more, I could jump across the highway hit the railroad bed and just go for miles. And uh, as a parent now, I don't know how my mom ever put up with it because I'd be gone all day on a dirt bike. She wouldn't know if I was dead or alive, you know, because she couldn't check on me. Right. Um, I think things were so much different back then growing up. I, I mean, my parents both worked out of the house. I, you know, I, I think from at least about the time I was six or seven, Mom was working in San Francisco. Dad was doing the same thing. And, you know, as long as I was home when they got home or I had my chores done when they got home, it didn't matter. You know, as soon as as soon as soon it started getting dark, you know, it, there was always a set time for dinner, you know, so you came for, home for that. But on the weekends, it didn't even matter. You know, you ate what <laughs> – if you weren't there for dinner, you didn't eat <laughs> or you had to warm something up, you know. And yeah, it, but, but there wasn't any, there wasn't any fear. You know, I never feared about you know getting kidnapped or, or, you know, I mean, everybody gets into, in, into injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, those things that parents fear nowadays aren't there, weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. I think times change. They, they will continue to do that. Right. And and now that we can monitor kids, um, it's it's so much easier for us to do that as parents or <laughs> even my parent my since we're staying with my parents, we have this thing, um Life Three Sixty that we have Yeah, I the, use that. Okay, yeah, we have the the my mom on it so that and we started that when we weren't here after she had her congestive heart failure and we so we keep an eye on where she was at and what what was happening. And uh, we still have it. So now she follows us, you know, the whole yeah. rest of the year. It was like, okay, well, what are you doing there? You know, and we tried to sneak up on her one time and come back to visit. And she was, you know, all of a sudden I get a message, you know, what are you doing in Nevada? You know, because we had been in like, you know, Texas or something. And it was, uh, it was just kind of funny that she, you know, she's watching us as adults where, you know, yeah. when we were kids, that never happened. Yeah, I'm sure part of that's Tech. you're always going to be her kid. Yeah, yeah, probably so. So then you uh, you started riding motorcycles. That's your first foray into off road. Um, did you ride bicycles before the motorcycle? Yeah, of course. Uh, BMX bikes were real popular when I was a kid. Um, we got a, a go kart, hand me down go kart from one of my dad's buddies, and. Um, and when we moved there, I was eight and I probably didn't get a dirt bike until I was 10 or 11. So it took me a couple of years of working on my mom so I could get one because she was <laughs> against it. <laughs> Mother's um, always against motorcycles. <laughs> I can't blame her. You know, it's easy to get hurt on them, but, uh, I don't know. Boys will be boys and you're going to have to learn by falling down, you know, whether it's running or whatever. True. True. So, but yeah, 
got my first dirt bike. It was just a RM50. And it was kind of the beginning of my parents realizing how I was going to be. Because I brand new RM50, big deal, a lot of money for my folks to spend on me on something they don't know if, you know, next week I'm going to be into something else. I rode it for a while and then I was learning how to take care of it, clean it and air filters and what have you. But my dad had a little tiny shop down by the the well. It was a well house is what it was, but had a little shop there with his tools. Well, I took my dirt bike in there one time and tore it all the way down to the frame. And my dad came walking in because I'd been around for a while. And it wasn't and broken. It wasn't broken. No. <laughs> I just tore it down to see how everything worked. And uh, he came in and you could see the disgust on his face. <laughs> and all he could say was, I hope you know how to put it together. And he walked out. <laughs> so, um, and that being a parent now, I, I get it. But at the time I was like, this is, I thought this is what you do. You know, I've just seen how it worked and trying to make it as good as possible. Take care of it. So was your dad mechanical? Well, that's the other thing. He wasn't very mechanical. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, he was fairly mechanical, but he wasn't, I don't think he's, he's definitely not as much as I am. Just, he didn't have the interest. Right. You know, it was, he'd have a hobby. Like he'd rebuilt the Austin Healy. And, uh, he rebuilt a motor with one of the neighbors. Um, one of our neighbors was very mechanical. So one of the motors in one of our trucks blew up and they rebuilt it. Old Ford F100. So, I think he was handy enough, but it wasn't like he was a mechanic. Okay. So. But he had tools. He had tools. And that to a kid, mostly male kids. And I've, I, I know girls do it too. Don't, don't everybody start sending me messages, (laughs) but you know, typically, you know, the men, the, the male child is the one that has to open that toolbox and you know, figure out how to use all them tools, figure out where the, where everything goes. You know, I get it. Yeah. I remember my dad used to take care of the cars themselves to service them, change oil and stuff. And I think that's probably what started to get me interested in that. Right. So did your, at any point, did your dad start helping you put the bike back together or was it all on you? It was all on me. And I think he was proving a point. I don't, I'm not sure if he thought I could do it or not, but either way, it was, he was going to prove a point. <laughs> <laughs> if you start so, it, you're finishing it. Yep. That's, that's a good lesson right there. Yeah. Well, my dad, he was my, well, he was a counselor at the high school I went to too. Um, so he'd been around teenagers his whole life as a teacher. He was, 14 steps ahead of me all the time. Whenever I thought I was getting away with something or anything that was going on in my life, he already was way ahead of me. Um, of course, as a kid, you think you're outsmarting your parents sometimes, but. Oh yeah. It wasn't happening. He was just letting me think I was outsmarting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Cause I don't think I let my kids uh, get away with it, but I just wanted them to let them know that, you know, Hey, you know, you, my, my, my line to him was, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, my son, so anyway, yeah. so let's, uh, 
let's talk about, you know, school. Your dad's, uh, he was at the high school, so you didn't catch up to him until high school then, right? Right. Yeah, I went to uh, Twain Hart Elementary, played a little bit of sports, not a lot. Uh, basketball, of course. <laughs> and then high school, there's two counselors. And they, you know, our high school had four grades, ninth through 12. Right. So they both took, like, one counselor had ninth grade and 11th grade, and the other one had 10th and 12th grade, and then they would stay with that class all the way through. So I had the other counselor um, just by chance. It could went either way, having your dad be a counselor. You know, he's the one doing discipline. People could really hate you because they don't like your dad. But most of the people like my dad, the athletes like my dad, uh, he was there for the kids. And even the bad kids that he was disciplining, he was real fair. So they, no one ever gave me a bad time, really, which was, uh, which was nice for me, <laughs> you know, because it could have went either way. I get it. I, my dad was a no nonsense kind of guy. And I can remember there was some kids that I went to school with. I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade and they were, these two boys were a year ahead of me and they were kind of troublemakers. Um, I mean, they were always into getting into shit, you know, and I can remember something happened right out in front of our house. I think they broke a bottle or something. And my dad forced them to clean it up. And I'm there in the garage and driveway working on my, my Volkswagen I had gotten. And all I could think about is, man, those guys are going to kick my ass, <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at the next day at school or whenever, you know, whenever they saw me alone. Cause that's the kind of guys they were. Well, you know, they argued with my dad, you know, well, we'll just have our dad, you know, come over and, you know, tell you what it's all about. My dad says, send them, but you're cleaning up this damn glass. He made him clean up the glass. And the next time I saw those kids, I thought, okay, here it comes. But I, you know, I wasn't going to run away or anything, you know, take it. And, uh, they came up and goes, you know, your dad's kind of a jerk, but you know, he's a good guy, you know? And it was like, wow, how did that happen? You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, there's so many stories that I have and some of them, you know, I heard after the fact when I'd run into people when I was 30 years old, they'd tell me a story about my dad and he would do things like kid would get a detention and he'd tell the kid, Hey, you can go sit in the library for an hour and do schoolwork or you can go out in front of the gym, the lawn there, clean up all the garbage. And when you're done, you're done. It might take him 15 or 20 minutes. But my dad saw it as he did something disciplinary and he got his school clean. Right. So it was a win-win. And then, like, uh, I remember one day kids came running to him. There's a fight. You know, these two guys are in a fight. You need to come stop them. And my dad always had a cup of coffee. And he's, he tells the guy, them all right all right yeah and he starts walking and they're like what are you doing come on we gotta go stop him he's like well i don't want to be there too fast they'll be all full of energy let us let them get worn out first and he'd walk over there <laughs> so um he was just 
his heart was always in the right place for the kids. So he was a good role model for you. I, yeah. And, you know, a lot of those things about your parents, you don't realize till later. Right. Cause they're disciplining you and you're pushing back. And one of those things for years, I kept hearing stories. Well, what the, one of the ones when I, I was going to tell you about when I was 30, two of the basketball players got thrown in jail one night, screwing around. I don't even know what they're doing. But I remember my dad leaving in the middle of the night. I didn't know what it was. Well, they told me years later, they came, my dad went down and bailed them out. And he asked the guy, hey, why don't you call your mom? He's, his mom was a single parent. And he said, there's no way I was going to call my mom. She would kick my butt. So I called you. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad went and got him, took him home. That's all I know about the story. They didn't tell me anything else, but I have a lot of respect for my dad, which you don't always have when you're growing up. Right. But as you get older and you see things in a different view, it's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool. I see these uh, teams jumping ahead just a little bit. But yeah, no the, worries. The parents spotting their kids at these wee rocks and stuff. And the family event that it's become is really cool. And it may have always been that way, but what I've seen lately is just really cool to see that family um, out there working together. And I tell you what, I couldn't probably work with my parents when I was that age. I know I yeah. couldn't. <laughs> but uh, it's neat to see. Yeah, I agree. I I, I really like that aspect in the, the rock crawling. And even though, you know, we ran racing, the rock racing as well under Dirt Riot, the two, the two are so much different, not just in the styles of what's happening, but also the way, you know, the event is run where with rock crawling, you're always, you're always together. You know, you're not maybe miles apart or, you know, in your pit working, you know, right up to the time that the race is and then during the race and right after the race, you know, you, there's so much more time spent with the other families. And that, I think that's one reason that, that people feel comfortable bringing their kids and especially how many girls, you know, that the dads have yeah. out there doing it. It's just, it's pretty dang cool. It is cool. You know, and some stick around, some don't. But, you know, they uh, at least the parents are giving them the opportunity to come out and give it a try. You know, typically the parent's more into the off-road than the kid is. I mean, very, very rarely is it, you know, the kid shows up with a with a Jeep and says, Dad, you know, you need to take me out. I think Mackenzie was that way. I don't think that they that they wheeled before that. I'm not sure. But I remember she getting, hearing the story that she got a Jeep. Talked her dad into, you know, hey, I want to compete. And then they showed up. And, uh, you know, it's it's really awesome that that uh, families are able to do that. I think it's yeah. important. Yeah. Mackenzie and her dad. Mackenzie really wanted to go pro. Um, I think it might have been her second or third year. And the parents came to me and said, what do you think? And I know as the conversation went on, I figured out that the parents wanted me to say, it's probably not a good idea. But I told them, I told them, yes, hundred percent. If she wants to go for it, you should go for it. And the parents, the mom, especially looked at me like, Are you serious? 
<laughs> you're just going to sell us out like that? <laughs> and, I'm like, and that's what I realized. I'm like, oh, you wanted me to be the voice of reason. Yeah. But I'm here being a cheerleader. <laughs> exactly. Because that's our, you know, I think that's our job with other kids. Um, you know, when, when Rich was small, you know, I coached his football teams. Um, he played baseball for a while. I didn't, you know, I, I never played baseball, uh, organized baseball. So I, you know, there was no way I was going to get into coaching on that or basketball, but, you know, football was a different story. I love that sport. You know, it, it hit the youth age. There was nobody, there weren't very many parents involved, you know, and if they were, I think they were involved wrongly. You know, they didn't, they wow. didn't have the encouragement. And I think that, uh, with the rock crawling, that the encouragement that everybody gives with the to each other is incredible. You know, the uh, the is. parents, the sports parents are typically so self-involved with their own child that their child should be the starting quarterback or the, or, you know, the star running back or the pitcher or the, you know, this, you know, the, the forward, the guy that should always have the ball and be doing everything that they don't see what, you know, where their own child actually places in that hierarchy and uh, I think that's 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 completely different when it's an individual sport, um, which in you know in school doesn't happen a lot or school age kids unless it's like cross country, track or um, you know swimming maybe you know so because everything else is team sports, right? And not and everybody thrives in team sports. Yeah. And the competition becomes amongst each other, which is unfortunate. Right. You know, you're supposed to be a team. Right. And that's, that's, that can be difficult that, you know, coaches, I didn't understand it until I started coaching that how you, the dynamics of dealing with all the kids at once. And, you know, you still want to give them the opportunity to win, but, you know, I guess uh, with the youth sports before high school, it's a lot easier to, uh, to give everybody a chance and on yeah. most, in most, th- in most times, I mean, I've seen some teams that, you know, won't play their extra players except for the three downs, like at pop Warner, three or four downs that they have to play. You know, they, <laughs> they just don't get yeah. the playing time because they're not the best player. And that win at all costs is in sport in young sports. I think it's important, but I don't think it's to the, I don't think the win at all costs is important. You know, I don't yeah. believe in playing soccer without a ball, you know, like I've heard some <laughs> places d- we're doing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that. Oh, it was a few years ago that some, some youth soccer league, they actually were playing soccer without a ball. And I don't understand that. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just like, you know, MMA, then they're out there kicking each other or whatever. I don't know. Drills. To me, it was kind of stupid. Sounds like practice. Yeah. (laughs) So then, you know, you you said you played a little bit of sports. Um, Was that all the way through school then, high school included? I did play a little soccer in elementary school and basketball. I played basketball in high school. Um, I know I'm I'm not built for basketball. I'm 5'6", 5'7". I always tell everyone I'm 5'7", but I don't think I've ever been quite 5'7". I didn't but, realize so that, that you really, were that short. <laughs> I'm just barely taller than Jeff McKinley. 
Huh. You carry yourself well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, maybe I've been putting on the high heels around you or something. I don't know. I'm pretty <laughs> short, but, uh, I've always loved basketball. And then I played golf in high school too, uh, for a little bit, which I wish I played more. Cause that's something you can do your whole life. Um, basketball, you know, I played until my forties, I'd still go to the gym, play pickup games, but I can't do it anymore. It's too hard on my legs, my knees. Right. So that's what happens with age. Yeah. I I can't count how many times I've rolled my ankle. Just I can roll it on an extension cord now walking across the shop. So loose, (laughs) but, um, so yeah, I played, played some sports and, um, but I've always been into vehicles. Like once I turned 16, I got off dirt bikes and got into cars, uh, started working and started with, uh, what cars, what was your first car? So my first vehicle was, uh, a 76, uh, Datsun pickup. My uncle gave me, I was, I guess I was 16. I learned to drive in my parents, 78 Bronco, which now with all the popularity of Broncos, wish we still had. Right. <laughs> um, but that was a cool vehicle. And that was really my first vehicle. I went off roading in, we'd take it up to uh, lion's Lake and the winter they would lower the lake and there was a mud flats. So everyone would go out there or we'd go up to the snow, depending on what was going on. But I would ask my dad to take the Bronco and go see my friends or whatever. And then I would split out and go wheeling with them all. My dad probably knew, (laughs) but I thought he didn't know. (laughs) Right. So we'd spend so much money at the car wash after the mud flats, trying to get the Bronco to not look like it was ever in the mud. (laughs) Um, But it was still worth it. It was so fun. Um, one time out the mud flats, there was these tree stumps because they'd cut down all the trees when they built the lake. Well, I didn't see one. I ran right into it. Bent the tie rod, um, bent the drag link. Didn't know it. And about a month later, my dad noticed the tires were wearing funny, so he took it in to see what's going on with the Bronco. And the guy showed him tie rods bent, drag links bent. You know, was it in a wreck or what's going on? So my dad asked me, I just played dumb. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know how that happened. But, uh, of course, I coughed it up later once I was living on my own. Had to clear, you know, clear my conscience. There you go. Um, So, but, yeah, so that was my first spell of uh, four-wheeling. And then I got that. My own truck, which was 80, 84, I started driving. So it was a 76 Datsun pickup. And then I couldn't ever leave any vehicle alone. So um, that was my first experience with mini trucks. Found some other guys with mini trucks and we lowered it, put a stereo in it. Um, And I did that to every vehicle I ever had couldn't leave anything alone. It was going to be lifted or lowered or what, what have you. How did you, 
how did you afford to do that? Did, were you working while you went to school or was it just saving allowance or odd jobs? What? So I've always been uh, driven by stuff I wanted. So I always wanted to work because I needed money to get the stuff I wanted. Uh, so I started like my mom, she, she's put up with a lot with me because I was always on her for something like I wanted a di- dirt bike. Well, they always had high school kids doing the dishes at the restaurant. So once I got my dirt bike, I was all over and I'd work. So I'd get money. And she, I wasn't old enough. I couldn't even re- reach into the sink to clean the pots and pans. But uh, when I was 12, she put me to work doing dishes. So um, I got to keep half of whatever I made. The other half went into savings. And then when I turned 16, I went and got a job at a sandwich shop in town called the Velvet Creamery. It was a small chain of ice cream parlor sandwich shops. And the lady manager there, when I went in when I was 16, I was 4'11 when I was 16. I was wow. Re- really short. I had to sit on a pillow to do driver's training, um, <laughs> which was a whole other story because it was the girl was a year ahead of me that I was doing driver's training with. Really good looking girl. And here I come with my pillow ready to drive real stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the lady didn't believe how old I was. So I had to prove it to her. And I kept going back till she hired me at that sandwich shop. And then by the end of high school, I was the assistant manager there. I was just really driven to work. So, um, and I was driven to work because I wanted trucks and what have you. Stuff. Um, yes. Stuff, yeah. So, so then you, you're working at Sound <laughs> Shop through high school. Um, did, you, uh, did you continue working there after high school? No. After high school, I went up to uh, Chico State, up in Chico. And uh, I, my dad was a counselor. So school was the way you know that's what got him his career and but i was not a student um i was smart enough in high school to just kind of skate by um in college i quickly learned you have to you have to try a little bit harder and uh i wasn't really willing to try harder um but i i was still working up there i got a job at the body shop down the road from where we were living and I got a job at in the evenings at uh, Holiday Inn doing room service. So, and the body shop was really cool because he painted funny cars. And the uh, funny cars, I just thought it was cool. You know, big flashy paint jobs on these things. Um, but my job and another college student, we color sanded all day long on these funny cars. We had no fingerprints from color sanding all day. And I quickly realized it's not as fun as I thought it would be. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, and then uh, the guy down the way was friends with him. He had a window tent shop, tent cars. And he came down and asked us, hey, you guys have any friends who want to do window tinting? I had to let a guy go. And I immediately raised my my hand and said, I'd like to try it. Because I was done with color sanding cars. Right. (laughs) So Jim Koshak was his name. And. He hired me and um, 
for the people that know, I've been window tending ever since. So I tell people that's what I learned at Chico State is window tending. Well, that's good because most people I think that go to went to Chico, you know, I hate to say this, it's kind of like Santa Barbara, you know, when you, you go to colleges there, you uh you end up, you know, majoring in party. Yeah, I did a little bit of that. It was near the time where the riots were. The riots were actually the year before I got there at Chico and then the second year I was up there they had the riots again and it was one block from where we lived. We were there when it started and the cops came in from both ends of the block. So they trapped everybody, which was a terrible idea. And it was just a big college party. It wasn't really a riot until the cops got there. Um, But they wanted to shut it down, understandably. Luckily we knew how to get through the fence onto the next block where we lived. So we had, we just kind of, once the cops showed up, we went home real quick. But there was a lot of that up there still when I was there. But one of the other things that was really cool about up there was the the cook at the Holiday Inn taught me to salmon fish nice. um, in the river there, Butte Creek. So was, those are like the highlights of my college career were growing up, obviously, but learning to window tent, get a career, and... uh you know, doing some salmon fishing with this Japanese cook that was just, just took me under his wing and saw a kid that was trying to grow up. Well, that's pretty um, cool. Yeah, it was a quick two years at Chico State. Um, then they said, you can't come back. <laughs> so <laughs> Chico said that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have the grades to continue on, you know, because I just, I could be talked out of going to class real easily. Right. I un- I understand that one. That's for sure. So then after Chico, did you move back to Sonora? I did. Um, moved back to Sonora and uh, started working. Met another guy that very influential in my life. Uh, he hired me. Uh, he hired me at a pest control place of all places. And uh, his name's Don Wolf. And I continued window tinting just out of my dad's garage and working at the pest control place for Don. Well, it's Clark Pest Control, which is another pretty big chain out in California. Right. Um, but as time went on, Don went and bought his own pest control company. And I started just doing more window tinting and, um, my dad said, hey, there's too many people I don't know in my house. Well, that's fair enough. He's like, you have to do something, you know, get a shop or whatever. And I was pretty worried. So I was talking to Don about it because he went on into business on his own. And, you know, the overhead and I don't want to fail and don't want to be caught in a lease or something. So Don said, hey, come rent part of my shop for me. 300 bucks a month covers everything. You can walk away anytime you want. So... I spent five years written from him and building my window tent business and having him as a mentor. He's about five years older than me. I think he really was, you meet a lot of people through your life. You realize they're very influential and you don't even know it at the time. Um, but he really helped give me some direction and get me headed on my way. So, uh, so I continued to window tent and then, being into trucks and stuff, we wanted 
lift our trucks, wheels, tires, all that. My buddies were like, we need to figure out a cheaper way than we'd always have to drive an hour to get our trucks lifted or anything. I said, well, I have a business. I wonder if I get a wholesale account with somebody, you know, and called Transamerican and they uh, wholesale truck accessories and used my window tent business as the cover. And they gave me a wholesale account. We started fixing up our own trucks. And then pretty soon we're fixing up other people's trucks. And uh, my window tent business started expanding. And over the years, we went from window tent to truck accessories. We did detailing for a while. We, a good friend of mine, Nate Larson, had a stereo shop in town. He got a better job offer for one of the companies. So I bought his car stereo business and added it. So over 27 years, we just kept growing the business and paying for paying for stuff like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so the motivation was the same. Yeah, always was. There was always some carrot I wanted, whether it was, you know, I was into Harleys for a while. We built Harleys also for a while with Don. Uh, Don Wolf was into Harleys when I started renting from him and, I thought, well, those look cool. So I started building those for a while. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. But it was pretty much anything that I was into became something that we were doing for money. So, so that's – well, that's that's good if you can take a passion. And even if your passions change, but, you you know, and you can make – you can make a living – doing that it's it's phenomenal i mean that's that's what i did with the rock crawling um you know i I really enjoyed being around the events um even though i like trail wheeling it was it was being around the events and just everything that was going on that competition scene and so you know when i moved back to california i knew what exactly what i was going to do but uh when did when did you meet your wife my wife so um Let's see. It was after I was rock crawling. <clears throat> so the lineage is that I was building Harleys for a little while, and then I bought 85 Forerunner to flip so I could build a custom Harley for myself, just make a couple bucks. And then uh, had a customer come in and say, hey, those Forerunners do awesome on the Rubicon. I was like, what's that? What's the Rubicon? He's like, well, we go rock crawling up there. And I'm like, What's that? I had no idea. We're talking late nineties. So ended up not selling that forerunner, fixed it up to be a, a rock crawler and never built another Harley. Um and then we were wheeling years after that. I'd had my first tube buggy I built. Um it was a little two seat rear steer. Well, it's big compared to the two seat cars now, but um, it was rear steer buggy and me and my buddies would go wheel all the time. And it was probably the most capable rig out of my group of friends. So we were at moon rocks and <clears throat> I had taken my buddy, Nate Larson had the stereo shop with me. And one of my friend's wives, uh, brought her sister over and said, Hey, can you give, Jen a ride, you know, she's never been rock crawling before. Um, and you know, we 
just take her for a ride in your car. That'd be cool. And so I looked at Jen and she looked not super excited. <laughs> I think she felt like, felt like, you know, she doesn't know me and Jamie, her sister's just throwing her in someone's car. And I said, well, if she wants to go, that's fine. You know, I'll take her. I go, she doesn't want to, that's fine. And she was being nice too. She's like, well, if you don't want to, that's fine. We did that back and forth for, seemed like five minutes, but I'm sure it was like 30 seconds. Finally, I said, just get in the car, I'll take it for a ride. And if you, you know, you like it, great. If not, you know, we'll just come right back. You know, it's moon rock. So it's, uh, you know, you're 20 feet away from the Wheeling when you're camping there. Right. So I took her for a ride and we're having a good time getting to know each other. And it was really cold that weekend. It was a Memorial Day weekend. Half the times you're there on Memorial Day, it'll snow. Right. And it, it did snow. My poor buddy, Nate, Jen and I were hitting off so good that I kept taking her out wheeling. And, and Nate lost his seat that weekend. He still doesn't let me forget it. Like he just put a <laughs> post on Instagram again, uh, reminding me how that trip went for him. <laughs> <laughs> so if it was just some random girl that one weekend, I would feel a little worse, but it ended up being my wife. So that's kind of, you have to take one for the team, buddy. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> the, so, uh, the bro doesn't always, doesn't always prevail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, the other funny part of that weekend was it was so, I hate being cold for the, there's some people that'll probably listen to this that know it, but I just hate being cold. And, uh, it was snowing that weekend. We were staying in my aluminum box trailer and we had a little buddy heater in there, but barely worked well jen was staying in her brother-in-law's camper so i wormed my way in there so i could sleep in the camper we weren't doing anything but i was sleeping in a bed with my wife you know my jen at the time before she was my wife but i just wanted to be warm so i had to that was my uh that was your motivation reason. my motivation yeah. part of it at least <laughs> yeah or at least but, that was your excuse. Yeah. That too. <laughs> you know, I do like girls, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted the, it was just as nice just to be warm. Um, so it was, uh, it was weird. I hadn't, I hadn't dated anyone in a while. I was, I was, I was previously married and, um, divorced for probably about a year when I met Jen and she was the first girl I ever had had any interest in since my divorce. I was just still, I'd look at girls and think she's pretty, but she's trouble, <laughs> you know? Right. So just after being through a divorce, I was still a little bitter, but Jen fixed that. Good. <laughs> Good. And And she's a, she's a great lady. Anybody that's never met her, for sure. So then you're uh, you're working. You got your your shop going on and stuff. Um, your butt, you're wheeling. The first time we met, you were in a club, and wasn't it that you guys came up to Donner? Um. So the first time I met you, I believe. Yeah, I think it was probably the first time I met you was in Vernal. Okay. Um, and that was when I, when I was in my divorce, I took a trip for like 
I was about four weeks. I traveled the Western United States with my rock crop. And uh, it was the year BZ. This is the way you'll know what I'm talking about. It was the year BZ put screws in his tires. Oh, Jesus, yes. <laughs> so um, we went, we were just traveling. My friend, uh, Matt, Matt Van, and I were just traveling the Western United States. And we go here and there and ask the four-wheel drive shops, where do you wheel? And we'd go wheel. And we knew that we rock was going to be in Vernal, so we made it one of our stops. And we even thought about competing. And uh, we showed up, must have been the day before the event. You guys were setting up courses, and I met your son. And we told him, you know, we were kind of thinking about competing. He says, well, that's great. He goes, but go look at the courses, because he saw our car. He goes, your car's pretty big. It was on, like, 42-inch swampers. And he goes, but if you want, you know, that's fine. And he goes, it, I don't know if it was you or him, but said if, you don't want to compete we need judges and if you judge uh we can get you a hotel room down at the i think it was a motel six here right. in yep well we're staying in my uh that aluminum box trailer and then every few nights we would get a hotel room you know we were on a budget uh but we still needed a shower once in a while so when you said hotel room we're like yeah we're in <laughs> we'll take it and we'll judge. And then you invite us to dinner down there. We went to, it's funny. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Other things I can't remember at all. But I think it all goes back to what I'm passionate about, you know. Right. I thought rock crawling was super cool. I still do. So we went to the Golden Corral for dinner. And we ate with you guys. Just, you guys were so accommodating and never met us before. But, hey, come to dinner. You know, do this and that. But yeah, so that was the first time I think I met you and your son and your daughter. We judged. You split Maddie and I up. We were on courses next to each other. And I think I might have told you the story, but Tracy Jordan, I think his spotter was Moose. Uh, He's a big, big guy. Well, Maddie called the cone on him. Moose was on the other side of the car, but he was convinced that there was no way they hit it. So he got all up in Maddie's face. And Maddie's not a real big guy either, but uh, he stood his ground. And you came over and you talked it out with him. It's a no. That's he saw you hit the cone. It's cone. And I just I remember poor Maddie. I took him on this trip, and now he's getting screamed at by this six four big old <laughs> dude. You know, it was a great part of that trip, doing that uh, judging and then hanging out with the teams. Went to the Local bar, I think that night, one of the nights, Friday or Saturday, was a cool event. Definitely made me want to be part of it, um, even if I couldn't compete with the current car I had. After that, we actually, right, that's when we went to Donner. Um, it was a group of us. Uh, Maddie was there, and we would do recovery for you. Right. And I think I think you guys liked it because I had a rear steer car that I could get in places. There wasn't as many rear steer cars, I don't think, then. So I could get to places where I could be useful. Um, went to Riverside. Riverside? Oh, down there um, at Paris. Paris, California. Paris. Yes. Yeah. You had that big drop. With I think you put uh, hay bales on it. At the uh, bottom of it so that, yeah, because uh, it was way undercut. Yeah. So we did recovery down there, too. Um 
And I, the one thing I was, I wanted to say on here was I always wanted to compete, but I never thought I was capable or I just felt like it wasn't a level that it was reachable, you know, Uh, there's a better word for it, I'm sure. But I was always too intimidated to do it. I think it's gotten better in general, more approachable for people. But if you ever have, for anyone who's listening, if you ever thought of competing, the teams will all help you. Don't be intimidated and just do it. And, you know, I think you have a catchphrase at the end of this podcast. It's kind of feeds to this. Just if you want to do it, just go do it. It's uh, what's the worst that could happen. I think part of me is I don't want to go do something and look like a fool because I have no idea what I'm doing, but you all, you always have to start somewhere. Right. And, and I think one of the, the keys that all of us that, that love this sport and want to see it continue and grow is to try to get new people into it, but make them understand that, you know, you could be the greatest trail wheeler and obstacle wheeler out there. But competition is is truly a totally different animal. Um, there's like there's a game, you know. It's a game, there or, or like a board game, like chess. You know, it's not just you know you. you there's a strategy to it, and when yeah. you're trail wheeling, there's no strategy. You know, nobody's picking your line except for you. Um, you know, with the rock crawling, we are picking people's lines and. People get frustrated and don't have fun because they, they expect to do really well. And I try to tell everybody, you know, just come out and enjoy it. Have fun, meet people, learn and understand that it's, that it is a, it's a strategy type competition. And, you know, some of those, some of the people that are total A type, you know, personalities, which you have to have to be, to do this anyway, you can't be a, you know, a total recluse or introvert, you know, you, you've got to be able to put yourself out there, but the, you know, if you, if you're coming out there to the first event and you expect a podium, especially if you jump right into the pros, you're, you're really, uh, you got your sights set wrong and you could be really in for some disappointment. And, uh, I can remember telling Kevin Carroll that the first time he came out. You know, it's like, Kevin, I, I know, <laughs> I know who you are. I know what you do. You know, Jeff McKinley too, you know, you guys, cause they're hard on themselves. You know, you, you've yeah. got to understand that this is not, you know, big obstacle breaking, you know, big trail breaking where you got all this time and, and, you know, you can approach it, you know, 60 different ways until you finally get the line. You have to see it, you know, and you have to trust yourself and your spotter. And I, I think that, you know, if people come into the sport with the idea that, hey, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to learn what this strategy thing is, then I'm going to go after it, you know. And, yeah. and I think that that's, uh, that that's a key for people to have success. You know? Yeah, I agree. There is, I tell people all the time that uh, it is a game, you know. Some people are good at the game and some people are or learning the game. Like you said, they come from trail wheeling. So, and I tell them too, trail wheeling, you want to do the biggest line. You want to be the one in the group that's able to do it more than anyone else. 
whereas in rock crawling competition, you might be able to do the biggest line, but is it the smartest choice? What's the risk here? What if you roll and you don't finish? You know, what's the odds of that? That's where the game comes in. It's like it's not always the the biggest line that's the the best choice. No, it's the smartest. Of course, you know, that's that's why we put those sometimes stupid bonuses there is to trap some of those guys that, you know, Kyleman was really good. He always wanted to do the biggest line. I mean, he wanted yeah. that to take, he wanted to get that bonus that everybody else bypassed to show that, you know, he could do it. Whether he would win or not, he would go for it. And, you know, you'd see some amazing stuff. Jeff is uh, is more calculating now. At first, he was he was kind of the same way. But you you know you watch guys that that really you know Tracy would always go for it because he was convinced he could do it, and typically he would. You know he's pretty dang good. Um, yeah. And then uh, there's certain guys out there you just know they're going to go for that bonus because it's it just looks it's like the coolest line out there. Yeah. Yeah. And. Cowman is that guy too. I, I see that. Yes. Um, but for the, like a lot of the new guys, there's that bonus line. That's a little crazy. There's probably a time and place for it. If you're, if you're way behind and everyone else is bypassing it being smart, well, maybe it's worth a shot, but if you're neck and neck with the, the guys at the top, well, maybe it's not always the best idea. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I can never sucker Jesse into those. He's so stinking good. I love that guy, but he's so stinking good. But the sport really needs those Jessies, though, because I know a lot of guys like myself that it gives us someone to go after. You know, right. um, he sets the bar, and then if if for some reason you can beat him one weekend, it's a big deal for that competitor that beat Jesse. And I know, I. On the other side of that, it makes it not very fun for Jesse sometimes because everyone's out to beat him. Right. Um, There's a lot a nice of pressure guy. on him. Yeah. And then it becomes a, a lose-lose because he's expected to win. So if he wins, everyone's like, well, yeah, of course he won. But if he loses, they're like, how'd you lose? What's what's wrong with you? Right. Because so, <laughs> um, they expect him to win. But He gets mad. He gets mad at me whenever I tell him, you know, the best thing for the sport is you, for you to lose an event here and there. And he goes, man, I just hate <laughs> when you say that, you know, but it's, it's true. You know, if, if nobody ever beats him, eventually people will go, okay, I just can't do it. Um, you know, that it got that way for a while with, with Tracy, you know, especially when the, when the courses in those, in that late mid to late 2000s, that 2008, nine you know, the courses were, and 10, you know, the courses were pretty brutal. A lot of times you didn't have a choice, you know, that the, the regular line was that what I would probably put as a bonus line. And, you know, you, you either did it or, you know, you, you know, you failed. And, uh, you know, we footballed a lot of, a lot of cars in those, those couple of years. And I think that, you know, at one point people were just like, you know, I mean, I can, I remember some guys up in Washington tell me, yeah, we're just going to mail our entry fees to, to Tracy because he's going to win anyway. And I don't need to suffer $10,000 worth of damage. 
you know, and then it was yeah. like, okay, now we have to rethink our, our strategy on the courses so that we're not destroying cars. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of guys. Well, it's, it's changing slowly, but it was a lot of blue collar guys that they only had so much money they could spend on the sport, you know? Right. Especially at that time, because, you know, during that recession, a lot of guys were contractors um, or fabricators or like yourself, business owners that, you know, as the money became tighter because of the recession, people weren't spending it in, in, in the, you know, they weren't building new decks or building new houses or whatever. They were just trying to keep what they had that, you know, you didn't, you know, the income wasn't there. So guys, you know, started backing off because if it was going to cost them so much money to compete and to rebuild, why do it? Yeah. You know, and then that's, that's when ultra four came along or King of the hammers and everybody thought, okay, well, it's one time a year, you know, I can save all my money, go do that event. And, you know, everybody likes to go fast because even if you're the slowest one out there, you're going as fast as you can. That's cool. Rock yeah. crawling, it's technical. You know, you, you got to hit the mark. And if you're expecting, you know, you have certain expectations of yourself to, to not come in, you know, at the bottom or, you know, you're going to win the, the event and you're not winning, it becomes hard to swallow because yeah. it's not, you don't have that fun of going fast. So. Yeah, I could see that too. It was, uh, that recession time was for us. We had our second child in 2010. So I decided it was a good time to, during the recession, buy a house and have a kid and, and rebuild my rock crawler into a more competitive car. I sold off the whole rock crawler except the axles. I was going to build a comp car because I've been competing in your, well, you sold it by then, but Cow Rocks, the event you started uh, in my old car, like an 07 through 10. And I thought, I want to build a more competitive car. I kept tweaking my old car, you know, went to sticky BFGs and uh, air shocks instead of coilovers, kept making it more of a comp car, but it was still a trail car, trail car size. So I sold it all off and was going to build a comp car and buy a house and have a kid and quickly found out uh, my budget didn't allow for all of that. I was pretty committed to the house and the kid. So, uh, um, the crawler got put aside uh, for years. I ended up selling those axles even fast forward to, uh, well, luckily it was 2015 when I decided I wanted one more shot at rock crawling, but in between there, some teams picked me up to navigate for ultra four King and hammers and uh, Baja 1000 Vegas to Reno. So they were, I was still able to be in the off-road world, racing world, even though I couldn't afford to compete in it. They were putting me in the navigator seat, and I was getting to go out of fun. And it kept me, kept my juices flowing for competing. And uh, so in 2015, I wasn't getting any younger and asked my wife if I could do it one more time. I wanted to go rock crawling again. Uh, she said yes, and sure there's times where she regrets it, but <laughs> I told her, let's, let's try it for two years, you know, to see how it goes. 
but let's give it a two-year commitment. And uh, I got a hold of Jesse and didn't really know him at the time. Anyone that knows Jesse, he's not real big on building uh, turnkey cars. And I wanted him to build me a car. Kind of had to talk him into it. Um, gave my sob story of wanting one more shot. Uh, I was just going to jump right into unlimited class. So in 15, started building the car. And uh, let's see. Yeah, it was, I guess it was the end of the year. So anyways, by the end of summer of 16, we had a car ready to go for his super crawl event. And uh, started back at it. It was uh, the longest build ever. You consider I started building one in 2010 (laughs) (laughs) and then didn't really get to get it done. But uh, I feel very fortunate that I was able to get back to it um, with the help of Jesse and him and his wife. I'd go up there every weekend and help build this car with him. And he and Sarah would let me stay at their house. They became really good friends. I, I consider them some of my best friends. My wife, who she's the fun one, she's uh, the there's a group of wives at the event that feed everybody and invite everyone over for drinks. And um, she's the entertainer. And I kept telling her about Jesse's wife. She was pregnant and she's doing the tile in the kitchen. And this girl's just amazing, you know. She's just a go getter. I remember we're working out in the garage, Sarah's in the house and she's eight months pregnant and she's trying to get the lo- the uh, laundry room clear for uh, to do the tile in there so she's trying to move the washer and dryer out <laughs> and we had no idea and we come walking in to get a soda or something take a break and sarah's fuming she's like didn't you hear me talking to jesse we're like no she's always banging on the wall we're out there banging on stuff too. So we didn't hear it. Uh, we probably just thought it was one of the other, you know, he or I making the noise. Um, she's always trapped in the laundry room. I was trying to move the washing machine out and I got trapped in between the, the wall and the washing machine, <laughs> you know, with their belly and everything. And uh, that was the time that I said, well, I'm going to go back out in the garage. <laughs> and this is good luck, Jesse. <laughs> so, um, but I kept telling my wife about, you know, Jesse and, and Sarah, and for one, I think she was way, doing way too much, but she was just doing it. You know, she was retiling and everything before the baby got there. But my wife started kind of not like that. I talked so well about another woman. It was kind of funny because I, I can't call it jealousy, but it was kind of jealousy that I was talking about, you know, how amazing she was and nice and, but now, fast forward, we start competing. They meet each other. They hit it off. Um, they're now best friends. So it's funny how the dynamics, like if I talk good about her, it's not okay. But if she talks good about her, it's just okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think they probably talk more than Jesse and I. And I just, you know, we're all, it's really been neat through this process of rock crawling and building a car to come across such good friends. And I see this story all over. This is just my story of this, but I think rock crawling brings a lot of people together, like-minded 
they were probably friends before they even knew that they were going to be friends. Right. So let's talk, let's talk about the events that recently that you've done very well in, you know, you, you've, you've done over the last couple of years, Shelly wanted first, one of the questions she wanted to ask me was, how did you feel about being kind of dubbed Mr. Fourth Place? (laughs) It was, uh, you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of things when you're competing, you hope for podium finish first place. Realistically, you, you want to be like, for me, I always wanted to win. I'm competitive, no matter what it is. If we're playing cornhole or checkers, you name it, I want to win. But I'm also realistic. So when I was competing, I wanted to win or I wanted to be on the podium. But I definitely didn't want to be last. I wanted to be like at least mid-pack is my realistic thing. Be mid-pack or better. The fourth place thing, it was one of the craziest things I've probably ever experienced in my life. Just because you couldn't do that if you tried. And what was it? Fourth place for over a year, right? I'm pretty sure. Right. Um, just every single event, fourth place. At first, I was a little frustrated and really picking apart, you know, like, well, if we would have done this, you know, we could have beat, we could have been on the podium. And then after a while, it was like just becoming comical. Like, and I'll, I'll never forget at uh, Donner, um, Jeremy Winters and I were in the same group on the second day. And I think we had one or two courses left and we were real close fighting for third place or fighting for fourth place. He was in fifth and I was in fourth, but I was ahead of him by a couple points or something. And he's like, He's like, well, what are you going to do? He's like trying to get all the info of what I'm going to do on each course and everything. And I said, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do and whatever I do, I'm going to be fourth place. It's just what's going to happen. It's been happening for a year. <laughs> it's going to happen again here. Like it's beyond our control. It's, it's just the universe is going to make me fourth place. You could do whatever you want and I'll still end up fourth. So, and sure enough, he ended up rolling right after that wrecking jesse's car um because he he borrowed a car and anyone that knows jeremy he's either going to rub you wrong or you're going to laugh that's kind of how people take him because he's he's just sarcastic all the time and i love the guy his sense of humor i get it when i first met him i did not like him i thought he was a total ass that's Um, right there was a lot of us that that did that yeah, and you just got to see through that. Right. I mean, you know, it's he's like a lot of people. Jeremy is Jeremy, but Jeremy also has a great sense of humor if you can if you can see it. Um, so after he rolled, I'm like, I told you, I go. It doesn't matter what we do. I'm going to be fourth, and sure enough, I got fourth that weekend. Yeah, it went from frustration to just you got to laugh, you know, um, and. It was also something that probably I'll be the only one that's ever done it. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you know, take it for, Cody made you your own podium for fourth. <laughs> yeah, it was actually instead of a podium, it was a tray. So you yes. stood in the tray. Exactly. Um, and then to get rid of that thing, I, you know, I took it real well. I, you know, I thought it was funny. Cody, 
Cody doing that. And, um, I have a pretty good sense of humor. So, you know, it was, it was not, a, I took it well, I guess is what I'm saying. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to get rid of it because I didn't want the, the curse or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so finally I decided talking with a couple other people, I'm like, whoever gets fourth place, I'm going to give it to and then they can sign it or whatever. And then whoever gets fourth place after that, they can give it to them. It'll be like this thing that gets passed on to the fourth place guy. Well, when I decided that, uh, Jacob Reeves ended up fourth that weekend. So I gave it to him. I don't remember if it was Cedar City. I don't remember where. But And then I think he's so nice that he's never given it to anyone else which really wasn't the plan. Now I feel like I stuck it with him. <laughs> so, but uh, he's just, you know, he's a nice kid and I don't know if he has the heart to, to give it to someone. Right. That they may take it the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't want so, it back. <laughs> I don't want it back. No. <laughs> it was that, that era hopefully is gone. Although I, I did end up fourth at that, uh, Texas Top Gun shootout, which now whenever I get fourth, it is a little bit more bitter. It's like, we don't want to go down this road again. So you only got fourth at Top Gun? Yeah. I thought you um, were runner-up. Uh, no. I, To be honest, I kind of blew it. It was uh, shortly after that I did a video, too. It's, I lost my focus on, on an obstacle that ended up being a lot more difficult than I thought. So I kind of overlooked it. It was only the second obstacle. Okay. Yeah. The middle there. Right. So I got a little flustered and frustrated. And then when I got through there, I wasn't clear headed enough to just stay focused on the job, uh, job at hand, you know, and, uh, just, just choked. <laughs> so, um, and that's like you were talking earlier. Once you have some success, if you're not successful, it's frustrating. Um, and I've had some success in the past couple of years. So you expect more out of yourself. Right. You've um, been at the top of that podium. Yeah. So, and I really feel looking back at that, I really, even going into that course, I had, a, I felt like I had a really good chance of winning it, but that's why you play the game. That's what my dad used to always say in basketball. You know, it doesn't matter what you're ranked. It's, uh, that's why there's upsets, you know, that's why you play the game. Right. Everyone has their day. Um, it wasn't my day, but it was still a great event. I hope, uh, hope they continue that on. And I hope more people come to check it out. It was my first time in Texas and the hospitality was top level. Uh, the rocks are top level, um, huge boulders there. And, uh, Actually, I think I'll be going down there for We Rock this year. That's our plan. Oh, awesome. So cool. Cause that's, yeah. it is a great place. Um, you know, the two parks that are there, Katempsi's got the bigger rocks. Um, the others got more, more rock, but I would say, but it's, I think Katempsi's overall more difficult, has more difficult stuff and stuff that, you know, if we could ever clear all of the deadfall out there, there's some stuff out there that, you know, it would be, they would make really good runs for that, 
for their um, their Top Gun shootout. And I hope that motivates those guys at K2 to uh, to get out there and clear more of that brush. I know we try to every time we go in there, you know, Jake or I, you know, Jake did a lot of clearing this last time. In fact, some of the stuff you guys ran in the shootout was stuff that he had, uh, that he had cleared when we were there for, uh, for we rock. So yeah, there's, there's some really good stuff out there. And like you said, the hospitality, I love Mason, Texas. Um, it's a great little town and, uh, you know, someday I hope to retire there. It's a really cool town. When I went into the town square area there, um, it's like you went back in time. It's, uh, it was really cool. Yeah, it's a great area. That whole that whole um, rocky high country, you know, that's uh, that's what they they call it. Um, you know, for us that live on the in the mountains, you know, or near, right next to the Sierras or the Rockies, you know, yeah, that's it's not. <laughs> we wouldn't even call it hills. Um, yeah, but yeah, there uh, the hill country there is really nice, and especially that stretch that has all that granite. That'd be great. I, I hope you do. And I hope that was one of the, now that we've got more people that have done that and watched that and seen those rocks that, uh, that they'll come on out and, and compete. So what was, uh, talk about Trailbreaker this year, because you won that. I did win Trailbreaker. So this year we had a couple, uh, I always say we, cause I'm so used to being the team, but the two, my two biggest wins this year were just me. Um, nothing against my team. I have great spotters that I work with. So the shootout was the one that came the hammers back in February. And then of course trailbreaker, which I think is, and I, it's harder to brag about trailbreaker now that I won. Cause I don't want to sound like I'm just bragging about myself, but it's, I think it's one of the purest, um, find the best rock crawler, the best driver events, uh, you know, not being able to watch the other drivers, just they try and keep it a le- level playing field, obstacles that will hopefully weed out everyone to find who's the best. Trailbreaker is, you know, during Trail Hero event, which is run by your son, Little Rich. And I've been in that Trailbreaker event three or four times now. And uh, this year was, it was pretty epic. I mean, it's probably... I would consider it my biggest win um, for sure, just because of the way the event is looking for the, the best drivers. And this year I was the only one to make it through all three courses. So a lot of times it comes down to time. My first trail breaker event, I made it just as far as anybody else, but I wasn't as fast. So I lost, which is fair. But this year being the only guy that made it felt pretty good because it, didn't come down to you know four guys made it but you were the fastest right and i happened to be the last driver it's a bfg sponsored event so the way it played out no one had made it up the last obstacle tim from bfg's the guy that was winning at the time before i ran was jesse haynes which is no surprise he made up everything and super fast uh, except for the last obstacle he couldn't make it up he timed out so now Jesse Haynes on Max's tires is winning the event. And your son tells Tim, hey, just so you know, as of right now, 
Jesse's leading this event. And then I come through last vehicle, make it up the last obstacle. Everyone knows that I won. I know I won. I'm on BFG. So Tim's happy now for BFG because it's his sponsored event. Crowd's going crazy. Um, your son's trying to make it up the last obstacle with a trophy to give it to me. <laughs> it's you know, like, you know, it's harder to walk up some of these obstacles than drive up them. Oh, yes. <laughs> so people are trying to help him up and trying to help the photographers up. And it was just uh, what a great moment for me and for the event. Um, I don't know. I'm still at a loss for words sometimes. My daughter was there. My wife was there. It was about as good as it gets. Excellent. So what precipitated the the move to Southern Utah? Um, so I came down for Trail Hero, that first that first uh trailbreaker I was talking about. I came down for that and uh you know, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was that. Because I also came down for some of your We Rocks uh when it was in the bowl at the resort. Right. But I want to say the first time I came down was for Trailbreaker. And everywhere we go, my wife and I always kind of look at houses and see what they cost there. Because we're from Northern California. And in the foothills, houses aren't worth a lot. But in the Bay Area, you know, crazy pricing. And so wherever we travel, we'd always kind of check out houses and check out the area. And, you know, daydream about what it would be like to live here, wherever we were. And, of course... For myself, seeing all the off-roading, I was like, this is pretty cool here. And uh, being able to wheel, wheel year-round where out in the Sierras, you know, you get snowed out for the winter. And then my wife's looking at jobs, too, because she does HR. She's like, oh, look, the resort's hiring HR. I could do that. Just kind of playing around, you know, joking around. Well, we go back home after the event, and my wife's emailing me houses. And jobs she could do out here. And like, that's when I realized, oh, you're serious. <laughs> I'm like, I was already 100% in. I just wasn't going to do it because, you know, it's a family decision. And But once she kept going, because usually once you get home, that just ends. You know, you, you're not in another city. You're not checking out anymore. So that was probably, what was it, 2017, maybe? Yeah, I guess 2017. And then we didn't move until 2019, but we just kept kept looking at the area and kept trying to put it all together. I had to figure out what I was going to do with my business. And um, in the meantime, my dad had moved to, to St. George of all things, not because he knew we were looking, just they wanted to move out of California. They lived up in uh, Lincoln by Sacramento. That's uh, my dad and my stepmom. And they decided that this area was for them. They got golf courses and nice weather. So they moved down here. So then it made the move even better for us because now I'm down here where my dad is as he gets older. Be able to help him if he needs it or, you know, take care of him or have him over Thanksgiving without having to have him fly or stuff like that. Um, So that just made even an easier decision to move here. but the, if you're into off-road and outdoors, this area is just an amazing place. And plus, it's some of these California people are probably going to be mad at me, but it's not California. Right. <laughs> uh, 
I was in business too long in California and to saw them just continue to put more weight on uh, business owners and the general public um, with fees and taxes and you name it was just becoming ridiculous. And the, the rate that the fees would go up was insane too. So, and it's a little more wholesome here. Uh, I feel like raising my daughter here has been really cool. The kids, it's like you step back in time here compared to, you can still ride in the back of a pickup here. I know Californians are going to lose their minds, but you can hop in the back of a pickup and go down to the local park and unload all the kids or whatever. You just can't be on the freeway. You don't have to wear a helmet here uh, to ride a motorcycle, but like I, there's common sense involved again here where um, I tell my daughter, yeah, you don't have to wear a helmet to ride a motorcycle. You probably should, but no one's telling you you have to. So, Right. Um, Utah comes with less warning labels. Yeah. And I was in California almost my whole life now. I'm 54 now. We moved when I was 51. I would go to Texas for like a convention or something on the river walk in San Antonio and think it's ridiculous. They don't have a handrail here. You could fall in the river. There's going to be drunk people coming out of the bars, fall in the river. <laughs> you know, but I was so brainwashed, you know, like, you know, and obviously when I grew up, you didn't have to have a helmet. You had to have common sense. Like if you think you could get hurt, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Remember coffee is hot. That's yeah. Uh, so I just, it's refreshing here. Yeah. I, we bought a house in a neighborhood. Um, I'd lived in the country for a while, so we never really had close neighbors. And I lucked out. I have some of the best neighbors here. Quite a few of them have kids. My daughter runs around with. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm super happy here. Uh, Should have done it sooner. Uh, I miss all my friends in California. But um, I invite them all the time to come see me. We'll, we got an extra room. Uh, come hang out. Love to show you this place. So are you in Hurricane or St. George or where are you, where's your house located? I'm actually in St. George. Okay. And as you come from Vegas, we're the second exit. So it's right off the Southern Parkway. We're barely in Utah. Right. So okay. It's about as south as you can get. So you're, you're out there just on the edge of the strip, which if, if everybody south of, South and east of St. George is what they call the Arizona Strip, and it and it's uh, oh, Utah, yes. Arizona, and the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah. miles and miles and miles of dirt roads and and places to go across there. Yeah, so out the back of our neighborhood, you can take well, like your Raptor or side by side, and drive all the way to Mesquite on dirt roads. Yeah. Uh, and Mesquite's probably, I don't know, 35 minute drive on the freeway. So I have friends, I haven't done it with them yet, but they'll take their UTVs, drive into Mesquite, get a hotel for the night, and then come back. Just, and it seems like almost any direction from St. George Hurricane, there's areas like that where you can just take off, whether it's hiking, biking, UTVs. It's a it's a huge play play area. 
outdoor outdoor wonderland. I mean, you can snow ski, you know, it, you go up to Brian Head, which is only like an hour and a half away if it's snowing. Um, you know, you've got the lakes, you got the river, you know, you, you've got national parks. Um, you have that big, yeah. like I said, the, the Arizona, Utah strip area. Um, yeah. So any kind of off-roading you want to, we used to go to, to Sand Hollow before it had a name. There was no lake, you know, down there on the highway going into, into, you know, where like Walmart is. That was the only road to the south. And so we would park okay. down there, unload, you know, and then start wheeling from there. And we'd go down there for the sand dunes because we were living in Cedar City. You know, we didn't think about the rocks down there because the rocks in Cedar City were fine for what we were doing. We just went down there to go fast in the sand dunes. Yeah. And now it's just, it's just, there's so much to do down there. It's credible, you know, mountain biking, everything. So. It is a really good area. It is. It's uh, unfortunately, it's not as appealing to live here. Uh, just as far as home prices, um, the home prices have gotten crazy. But as far as outdoors, you really almost can't beat it. Uh, such a great place for recreation. Right. So then, what is in the future for for you guys? Are are you have you reopened your business yet? No, I don't think I will. Uh, okay. That's I was in business 27 years and I, and you've seen, I, I enjoy people, but man, I was burnt out on customers. Um, I've been uh, tending windows with uh, John Hemble, one of the other competitors. He has a window tending business. He tents homes and commercial windows, no cars, but. So I tent with him and I, I do some sales for him, just go out and find jobs. But I haven't really figured out my next step, which has got to come pretty soon because I'm going to run out of money. But I'm I'm looking more into like real estate type stuff, investment type stuff. I don't think I want to do retail again. I think I've had my fill of that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I did. And I, I have a feeling it'd be better here. Part of what I didn't like was like we talked about the regulations of California, but also there's always a handful of customers that are your customers and they're going to keep coming back. But every time you, they come in, you cringe a little bit and it's, uh, I don't know, just kind of worn out on it. It's, uh, it's too bad because I, I enjoy people, but, those few will ruin it if I'm in business where I have to deal with them. Right. So, um, I do tent some cars still for my friends and friends, friends here, but it's, it's not, I'm not trying to make it a career. Right. Okay. So fair enough. And, and you said that Jen is working at uh sand hollow resort. No, that was one of the jobs she's when she, we were talking about, coming down here she's like well i could work here or there okay. but she actually works for uh the lower five counties of utah and uh, she does hr it's a um, pretty cool organization they they go after any federal funded programs and because the counties our county washington county is the biggest county um in southern utah but the other counties like iron county um, 
some of the other ones are very small. So they don't have the ability to go after these, the manpower to go after these federally funded programs. And the programs are all mostly based around seniors, um, meals on wheels type things or rides to the doctor or rental assistance. Uh, during COVID, they had a rental assistance for anyone affected by COVID. So, and they have an office here in St. George, which is the biggest one. And then they have an office in um, Cedar City, and then they have their medical side uh, that gives medical assistance uh, programs. Um, they even have an office over in Kanab. Um, so she does HR for them, and they, uh, they'll have politicians come out, and they'll show them around and show them these different programs. So she took a bunch of people, a busload of people from D.C., her and her boss and a few other ones all through Utah. They just took a road trip. It's got to see a whole bunch of sites and it's a pretty neat job. And it's, I guess I like it because it's helping people too. You know, it's for the greater good. Right. Cool. So, and your, your kids are thriving there in Southern Utah. Yeah. Finally, uh, my son, a lot of people don't even know I have a son because my daughter always comes to the events, but my son doesn't, he's 20. He's working actually at a window tent shop here in town for Nick Melby. So uh, I had to help Nick for a little bit and he needed some help. So I, I got my son working there. And as far as I know, they're all happy working together there. So that was a big achievement because he'd never had a, a job yet. So um, he's doing well. And then my daughter, she, she's really the most responsible one in the whole family, more <laughs> than my wife and I. She's looking out for us all the time. And well, anyone that knows me, I'm just another kid in this family. My wife's the only adult, responsible adult. <laughs> so I'm out playing as much as I'm working. And uh, she's got to tell me when it's enough playing. So, but my daughter, she's doing real well. She's 12 now in seventh grade. And I don't know, she's raising herself. She's an amazing child. She's got a lot of friends here and they just run around like crazy. Cool. So then you're just going to try to figure out what you're going to do. Maybe get into to real estate or real estate investment. It's not a bad, it's not a bad gig. Yeah. I know you have a, that rental in Mason, which actually I saw, I took a picture of it on purpose. <laughs> uh, Woody Swearingen ratted you out which place it was. Our hotel. So, yes. Hey, um, that's a, that's been a great investment for us. We just, uh, we just had somebody contact um, our local manager there and say, hey, you know, we love this place. We'd love to buy it. And Shelly was like, I can't, you know, I can't believe it, but I don't want to sell it. You know, and so we, yeah. we threw the numbers of what we would have to get compared to what we make on it, you know, and, and for how long, you know, and she's like, yeah, no, we'll just, we'll just hang on to it. And uh, I agree. I, I, it's been a great investment and, you know, that's, uh, it's not a bad way to go. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. Something like that. Some kind of rental, whether it's like what you have there or commercial, I'm not sure which direction yet. And that's one of my problems is I will investigate and investigate until it's, uh, I should have done it 10 years ago, you know? Right. <laughs> it's, uh, I feel like I'm my biggest hurdle is myself. Well, so. if you ever want to talk to somebody about doing it, you know, Shelly is more than happy to 
to share her knowledge, that's for sure. Because she she analyzes and studies everything and has so many different interests in businesses and different endeavors that it's uh, it's quite amazing. So, you know, if you ever have any questions or, you know, want to talk to somebody, you know, that's that's maybe not uh, as close a friend, but somebody that would have, you know, your best interest in mind, you know, feel free to talk to her. I appreciate that. Um, she's, uh, I should, it's a great time to get to say that she's been an amazing person uh, as I've come back to the sport. She's just always happy to see people. It's always fun to come see you guys. So I, she's a sweet lady and you're very lucky. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am very lucky. I, I have to say that. I There's no doubt. Everybody that knows me or has known me has said the same thing. So I can't find some, I can't believe I found somebody to put up with me. <laughs> well, well, I'm happy for both of you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I think we've touched on all the bases, Dave. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to talk about? No, I feel like I, uh, I run my mouth a lot. So, <laughs> um, we could do this for a couple more hours, I'm sure, but we don't want to put people to sleep. There you go. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you uh, spending the time with us this morning. I really hope for the best for you and your family and everybody involved in your life. It was great to see you head to to Southern Utah. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And uh, you guys deserve all the awards and riches that can come your way. I appreciate it. And uh, I guess the one thing I didn't say was for anyone that's coming out to the sport, feel free to reach out to me anytime. If you have questions, I get a few people that reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help with advice, anything like that, if it, if it helps. So you can reach me on social media anytime, whatever I can do to help other competitors or off-roaders or whether it's coming to a competition or just coming to Southern California or Southern Utah and want some advice on where to go. Uh, it's uh, the off-road family is my family that's the way i look at it so if you need some help give me a shout excellent i appreciate it dave you have a great day you too thanks again rich okay. uh, it's been a pleasure yep all right take care bye bye well that's another episode of conversations with big rich i'd like to thank you all for listening If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.